Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Big Dan, Dan the Man. Whatever nickname you want to attach to Dan Arnold, he's played well in the past two weeks. Just how much of a factor is he in the offense, and what is the trickle-down? We know the offense took a step forward on Sunday. It can take an even larger step if touchdowns, not field goals, are scored in the red zone. Plus, at 7-6, and six, what does the playoff picture look like for the Cardinals? It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 371, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grigalou and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Murray rolls to the right, throws near side to Fitz, caught, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown! Here's Craig Grealu and Mike Jarecki. Well, no one offensive player not named Kyler Murray or DeAndre Hopkins was talked about more this offseason than Dan Arnold. If you heard all of the talk, listened to everything, you would have thought this man was going to be maybe not the leading receiver, but certainly up there. And it has taken a little while, but I think over the last couple of weeks, MJ, we are starting to see what we thought we were going to see with the Cardinals tied in because he is a little bit different than your typical tied in as far as blocking ability. But what he does give you is great hands, and we have seen that against the Rams and against the Giants. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that's still learning the position. He looks like a wide receiver playing tight end, and, you know, you look at it and, you know, Obviously, they weren't able to work out at the facility because of COVID. But he's got to get it stronger, and um, he'll 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 get better as a blocker. But you know, he's a weapon, and you know, you're starting to hear the story now. We told you the story when it happened. Um, Dan Arnold was on on the practice squad, or he had maybe maybe gotten released, and I think he was on the practice squad. And the Cardinals brought him over, and um, and he shows up in practice. He wears number 82, and he looks like like Lurch out there, and so. I never do this, but I, I uh, asked Larry Fitzgerald in a text. I said, who's this new guy? And he said, he was killing it on the scout team today. I'm like, um, okay. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, two weeks later, he's he goes from the practice squad to the active roster. And, you know, he flashed a little bit. And, and I, you know, Peter Schrager and we talked about it and some of the local radio guys talked about it. You know, what's his, his number going to be, 35 catches. But – you could see when this team wants to run a 12 personnel. You got your meat and potatoes and Max Williams, and then you got Arnold. When this team goes four or five wide, you can bring him out here. He's a mismatch when it comes to linebackers and safeties, and he's got the height uh, to reach up. And I'm sure he has aspirations to be like Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. And those guys are in a different category, Rob Gronkowski. But if he can be one of the top 15 tight ends in football, I mean, he's a weapon. And, you know, we're not talking about the opposing tight ends this year, Craig. We know how tight ends can affect any defense and how you focus so much on the running back and the quarterback and wide receivers. So to me, he is a weapon in this offense, and it's only going to get better. And if you listen to his teammates, they see the work that Arnold has put in to be considered or be in position to be among the elite tight ends in this league. But what we've seen over the past two games, three touchdowns, four catches for 88 yards. Not great numbers, but you mentioned being a weapon. That six foot six 
frame, and we saw it come into fruition on Sunday against the Giants when he was surrounded by a bunch of blue shirts at the back of the end zone, and he outjumped everyone, and all you saw was his torso and his hands catching that ball, high-pointing it, which we saw at the end of last season when he had that touchdown catch against the Browns and against the Rams to close out 2019. That in 2019 led us to believe that he was going to be a big part of this offense here in 2020 and do a little bit he has been but I think it's really manifested itself here in weeks 13 and 14. Well and we know the offense uh, has been struggling so you know and and everyone's keen on Hopkins and you didn't have Fitz or two games and Christian Kirk's been inconsistent Andy Isabella's been inconsistent Keyshawn uh, Johnson you know when thrown to he he can catch the football. So if teams are going to double hop and, and they're going to roll coverage over and keep everything in front of them, he's a guy that can uh, obviously – I really like him in the seam. I think it's an easy throw for a quarterback. Obviously, if he got passing lanes, uh, it's over the middle. Um, but, again, it's about matchups. And if he matches up with a linebacker or safety, I'll take my chances nine out of ten times. And the main thing to keep in mind here is Kyler Murray trusts him. If the quarterback trusts you – He's going to throw the rock to you. And that happened very early on at the end of last season, and it's just continued on into this season. Now, Arnold only had two catches on Sunday, the other one a 20-yard on third and three. But it might have been the catch that was overturned on replay that has many fans and probably coaches excited because of the adjustment that he made and had to turn his body to catch that pass from Murray close to the sideline and still able to get one knee down if he would have been able to secure the catch that would have been a completion because he was down but you have to maintain control all the way through the process of the catch the ball can move but that ball hit the ground and that's why it was overturned yeah you're allowed to you know go to the ground if the ball moves long as it doesn't move to where you still have your hands on it they would call that um, yeah, I mean, he, he's averaging 14 yards a catch, kind of like Dennis Gardeck and some of these other guys. I mean, he is playing more than those guys. 22 catches on the year, 313 yards. He does have a long for 59 yards, the touchdown, and four touchdowns. So if you look at DeAndre Hopkins and, you know, Christian Kirk, Kirk's got six, Hop's got five, he's got four. Um, I think we are hoping for more receivers like Larry Fitzgerald and Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson to get in the end zone. But keep in mind, uh, this team has 20 rushing touchdowns. So a lot of times when you get in the red zone, the field gets a little bit shorter, and the Cardinals are one of the best teams when it comes to running the football and scoring touchdowns. Yeah, 20 rushing touchdowns, 23 receiving touchdowns. And I like what Arnold had to say after the ball game on Sunday about his his touchdown catch quote I tell Kyler every day at practice if you're going to throw it to me just throw it where only I can go up and get it end quote talking about that six foot six frame it's what we talk about with Larry Fitzgerald and also DeAndre Hopkins we're seeing as well just throw me the ball either I'm going to catch it or I'm going to make sure no one else does and that is something the trust between a quarterback and a pass catcher that takes time but it seems like it was quicker between Kyler Murray and Dan Arnold. Yeah, and, you know, the fact is that Max Williams missed a few games early in the season. Um, The thing is, though, 
you know, you see what guys like Austin Hooper got last year, $10 million a year. And, you know, I talked to somebody in the offseason, and they said that the, that the game has changed so much. It's really about running backs and tight ends on linebackers. We see so many running backs now become dual threats. And Chase Evans right now is second on the team in receptions behind Hop with 46. He also has three touchdowns. So when you look at it, um, you know, I know the Cardinals, you, 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 got, you go into the offseason with different needs, but I, I wouldn't put tight end up there. Now, Max Williams on the contract, maybe you develop some other guys. I'm not saying Dan Arnold is a top 15, 20 tight end, but I think he's a weapon. And the more he hits the weight room and the more he gets more comfortable in the uh, blocking game, I think he, they hit on this guy. So I'm not saying you waste a draft pick on a tight end, but I think we can check that box because he's so young and there's a huge up and he wants to be good. He wants to be great. He was willing to put the work in, so it's a great story. Um, but I think that we could say they got two solid tight ends. One's more of a pass catcher, and one's more of a blocker. He does put his hand in the dirt, as any tight end would, but he just seems, from the outside watching him, he looks more comfortable. He looks better when he's lined up as a wide receiver, either to the outside or inside. As you said, it, he is a tight end in a wide receiver body, and I think that's why we're seeing him become, over the last two weeks, and again, it's a small sample size, but this team right now, MJ, needs someone else to step up in that wide receiver room, or someone not named DeAndre Hopkins to catch some passes, whether that's a wide receiver, a tight end, or a running back. There is a huge separation between Hopkins and the next best wide receiver as far as the numbers are concerned. Not talent, but just the numbers are concerned. Hopkins, yes, we know he can take away or he can take over a game at any moment, but it would be nice if he had some help. And right now, I don't know if he has a lot of help as far as a wide receiver is concerned. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it was kind of scary when Larry was missed those two games because you're like, okay, it's Hopkins and then who? And I want to sit here and tell you it's Christian Kirk but he's been inconsistent. I thought maybe he – and I'm not questioning the effort. I thought he should have gotten the end zone. He should have caught that uh, touchdown against the Rams. You know, he missed some games, but it's funny. He leads the team in, 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 in touchdowns. So I want more out of Kirk. Is he a number two or is he a number three? And then there's questions about Isabella now. Um, it's going to be a big year for him next year. You go into year three and being a second-round pick – um, it's going to be on him. And uh, so, and Keyshawn Johnson, I like his size, nine catches for 72 yards. I mean, uh, I think Trent Shearfield is a good receiver, but obviously he's negated on special teams. Um, you know, DJ Foster's more of a special teams guy. Max Williams only has seven catches, but I definitely like him when they go to 12 personnel. So, yeah, somebody step up. Somebody needs to step up in these last couple of games, and hopefully it's Fitz. I mean, you got to target him more than two times. Cliff says he's going to target him more. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald doesn't even have a touchdown. Hopkins has 94 catches this season. That is number three in the league, but it is also almost 50 more than the next highest receiver on the Cardinals, and that would be Chase Edmonds at 46, and Larry Fitzgerald has 45. So you would certainly like to see someone close the gap. I understand when you have a talent of a Hopkins, you're going to get him the ball, but it shouldn't be that big of a discrepancy between your leading receiver and your second leading receiver, and this is where the conversation is going to come to because you're going to look back two years ago when the Cardinals invested three draft picks and wide receivers one of them is already gone, and another one might be close to gone, talking about Andy Isabella. How surprised were you that he was inactive on Sunday? Okay, I was surprised that he was inactive, but I wasn't surprised based on what I watched in those two or three games. There was bad spacing. You know, Christian Kirk's on the outside with Larry being out. Um, 
Isabella was playing in the slot, and there was there wasn't there wasn't a lot of spacing. So their their offense is predicated on what the defense does, and a pre-snap may look different than post-snap, and you have to change your route based on the defense. That's what the air rate is. They're trying to find space for yards after catch. So I was surprised just because, you know, he had made some strides, but very inconsistent. But based on the games I watched over the three-game losing streak, I'm not, I wasn't surprised. But, you know, being a second-round pick, and the fact is I'm glad Kingsbury told us that they think Keyshawn Johnson has probably looked better in practice, and he's a taller guy and he can maybe get open. Um, but again, for Hopkins, um, you know, maybe, you know, what I'll say, Craig, is they re- they've rushed the ball 404 times. They're up close to 2,000 yards, 20 touchdowns. So maybe they're not throwing the ball as much because they're, you know, they're running the ball, but you got a three headed monster when healthy. Um, so, but this, you should have other guys. I mean, Larry should be somewhere in the 50s or so. I'm not saying he gets separation, but. He finds the sticks. He knows how to run routes. He gets the calls from the officials. So, um, again, somebody has to step up, and maybe it's going to be Dan Arnold. Chase Edmonds is a guy that can catch the ball to backfield. They are throwing the ball to Kenyon Drake a little bit more. So it's not ideal when you are you know got three games to go and you're trying to get into postseason. This offense has to start humming if you want to make a run. And if you want to make a run, you better make the postseason first. It is hard to get everyone involved. There's only so many footballs to go around, and this is what we talked about in the offseason. It's a good problem to have. I just didn't expect the discrepancy to be so large. And in fairness to Kyler and Cliff, how many guys caught balls on Sunday? Eight different players? Correct. So they are spreading the ball around, and that's something we accused Murray of not doing during a three-game losing streak. He's locking on hop. Um, he's going through his progressions, or he's improvising and then trying to go through his progressions. I thought he went through his progressions last game. That's why we saw ball distribution. Um, but in that three-game losing streak, one uh, he goes his first option, then he improvises, gets out of the pocket, and he's kind of running for his life. And one thing I want to see Murray do more of, I watch Baker Mayfield on Monday Night Football. I watch Lamar Jackson. We watch Russell Wilson. We watch Patrick Holmes. I want to see Kyler Murray get on the outside and be able to throw on the run, not stop, throw on the run because we know he's got the arm strength and accuracy, and, and that's just another play in the playbook. Roll him outside the pocket. Don't force him in the pocket where he's got to throw over, you know, guys 6'3 and 6'4. So I, I, I keep watching these games, and I want to see Murray take that next step. Now there's only three or four or five games left, um, but that's something they're going to have to work on in the offseason. Throwing on the run, he has the athleticism, he has the accuracy, and he has the arm strength to make those throws. Going back to Sunday when the Cardinals and that 90 minutes before kickoff and the seven inactives were announced and to see Isabella's name, and it did take you back, but then you were wondering why, because it had been Keyshawn Johnson that was inactive when you had a full complement of wide receivers. Kingsbury explained on Monday when asked why Isabella was not dressed, and he said Keyshawn Johnson had been playing at a, quote, high level, end quote. Now, I don't know what exactly a high level means because a high level means you're producing on the field, and I'm sorry, Keyshawn Johnson's not doing it for me this season. This team has all of a sudden might be in position to where they need to draft more wide receivers because if you have Kirk, you have Isabella and Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald may or may not come back, you only have DeAndre Hopkins. I, I still – I'm not going to give up on Christian Kirk, okay, because I know he works hard. Um, maybe he's pressing a little bit knowing when the ball's coming to him, but, I'm, I mean, I think Kirk can be a two, but maybe a two B. I mean, I'm not sitting here saying a two, but you're right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a scenario where – 
you know, they're lucky they're running the football. But, uh, you know, we don't get a chance to watch practice, Craig. And last year, Keyshawn Johnson, he was inactive for a lot of games. I, I don't know if it was between the years. And so stuff must be happening in practice to where they feel like he's a better option on game day. Again, Andy Isabella, inconsistent, still having trouble catching the ball fluently. Um, I think he's made some progress. I don't think he's thinking. I think he's confident. Um, but also, this is going to be a wake-up call for him. And he's worked hard. Um, but you have to have spacing in this offense. And I, and I mentioned it to you. It wasn't coming out of left field once he was inactive. I told you on the postgame shows, I didn't like the spacing. And he, he was too close to the other receivers. And that makes it difficult for the quarterback to make a decision who I'm going to throw it to. Kirk did not have a good game as a wide receiver on Sunday. Should have gotten into the end zone early in that contest. But I'll say this, he was at least productive on special teams because he had his best performance on punt return this year, including a season-long 24-yard gain. He almost had 13 yards every time he returned a kick. So if you're not doing something well, as long as it's not affecting you in the other phases that you're asked to contribute, and at least he was productive, on punt returns but yeah these three games if you're looking at just a certain position group you want the offense to continue to improve but as far as wide receivers who is going to be that guy that goes into the offseason feeling good about themselves to where they can take that next step irregardless of what Larry Fitzgerald's future is because you can count on DeAndre Hopkins and then the question is who else can you count on as a wide receiver yeah I mean uh, you know again uh, you better give the front office something to think about because you know they're going to look at body of work now, if the team gets in the playoffs and, and these guys are obviously putting up numbers, um, but they're going to go in the offseason and say, we we got to get deeper at the wide receiver position. So, you, I mean, you have a very opportunity, and I'm glad you mentioned it about Kirk because I thought that was probably a – you know, special teams was huge in that game. Um, you know, just the field position and, you know, getting returns from Kirk. And, and, and you and I – uh, I mean, maybe it was two years ago when he was getting the chance. Uh, we thought he was close to breaking one. So, yes, if you're not going to, you know, be targeted or you're not going to be able to, you know, be more consistent, then you could contribute in other ways. I think that's fair. I'm a big Christian Kirk fan. I just – I expected more from him, and, and I'm sure if you ask him, he was hoping to have a bigger year himself. Bird Gang, if you haven't already, make sure you update to the latest version of the Cardinals mobile app today. The update features an all-new redesigned home screen experience. Visit azcardinals.com slash app for more. As we continue here on this Tuesday edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Looking back at Sunday's contest, the one glaring negative with respect to the offense was the inability to score touchdowns in the red zone. And we are nitpicking here because if you look at it, Red zone offense, the Cardinals entered Sunday's game with the number one red zone offense in the league. Now, after going two of seven, they've dropped all the way down to number seven. But red zone offense this season had not been an issue at all this season. In fact, during the three-game losing streak, they were eight of nine scoring touchdowns when they got inside the 20-yard line with the failed trip being that fourth and goal in which Kenyon Drake was stopped short in New England. So the issues in the red zone, we talked a lot about it in 2019, not an issue here in 2020. But if you do get inside the 20-yard line, you have to be able to punch it in for six as opposed to settle for three. And too many times we saw that on Sunday against the Giants. Yeah, when I when I look at Mike Nugent and props to him, obviously, you know, being on the practice squad and just waiting for his opportunity, 34, 37, 34, and 30. 
um, you know, those are, those are almost like extra points now. Uh, when you're playing better teams, you better be more efficient in the red zone. And we know the Giants are they really rely on their defense and running game and try to, you know, maybe get a special teams touchdown or defensive touchdown. Eagles, you know, with a young quarterback, are they going to try to protect him? But you get in the red zone in the month of December, you got to score points. So it's not so much nitpicking. Um, that's got to get better. Two for seven, 29%. But on the other side, uh, they were able to contribute uh, and move the football. I mean, the Cardinals had 22 first downs. They had 390 yards total offense. Um, they ran 79 plays, and they held the ball for close to 38 minutes. So you can build on that kind of stuff. But in this day and age, in the month of December, um, when you get down to the red zone and you're playing teams, and we know this team doesn't play well, even though they have two 10 point comebacks this year um, it's much better to play with the lead and I think you can say that for every team but this team really needs it because then all of a sudden you could tee off on defense they could very easily have scored 30 points yes and you could make a case for scoring 40 against that Giants defense although credit New York because they entered the game with the sixth best red zone defense in the league and we talked all week long about how good defensively the Giants were and the Cardinals still 26 points, almost 400 yards of offense, and it does get more complicated. It does get more difficult inside the 20-yard line. You've got 11 defenders plus the sideline. So typically, you know, you always hear, yeah, you see here, you hear 12th defender or 13th because everything closes in, and you have to be a lot more efficient or better in their execution. And I think that was the case on Sunday as far as the execution, not the play calling. I didn't have any problems as far as what plays were called in, just the lack of execution inside the 20-yard line. Yeah, it, it, you know, fans don't want to hear it uh, because, you know, you, you lose a game, they want to fire everyone. And, and I get it. You watch a game for three hours and you're frustrated and you're disappointed. And, you know, trust me, inside the organization, it's tenfold uh, because this is their livelihood. Um, but it's it's just that, you know, if there's one thing this year, they've just been inconsistent now. Again, if they get to the postseason, nobody's going to remember. What, you know, we'll talk about it as we recap the season. But if you can just kind of get on a roll right here, and the whole idea is just to get into the dance, regardless. You know, there's really no home field advantage this year unless you go to a cold city. So, um, I want to see this team um, continue to you know roll with the defense and put pressure on the quarterback. But I I do think if this offense can just kind of catch fire a little bit it's going to go a long way if they if they make the postseason well to your point about rolling with the defense four times the defense helped set up the cardinals as far as putting the ball into the new york side of the field and only one of those drives did the cardinals punch it in get into the end zone and that was the dan arnold touchdown catch of seven yards to make it 13 nothing otherwise those other three drives two field goals and then the turnover on downs and that goes back to that first drive of the ball game, which you got at first and goal at the nine, and you can't score. Those are the drives. Those are the possessions where all of a sudden it very easily could frustrate you, set the tone for the rest of the game. Granted, the Cardinals were playing the Giants, maybe a better team. You've got to be able to come away with points, and I'm not faulting the decision to go for it on fourth down. It was the perfect decision. You have to be able to get that one yard, that half yard, so you're getting six points as opposed to no points. Yeah, and 
and they've been stopped a few times, and we know Kingsbury's aggressive, but that's down in distance. You've got to score there. I mean, um, you know, your linemen, and they know this. I'm not repeating anything they don't know. I mean, you got to get six inches. you got to get a yard. I mean, it, this is the NFL. I know they get paid, but you just got to line up and beat the guy in front of you, and people don't want to hear about execution. Play calling is execution. If all 11 people are doing their job, the play works. If you got one guy goes the wrong way, it's not going to work, and then we quit. We question a play call. Play calling equals execution. Well, how about the execution of Kenyon Drake, his one-yard touchdown run that made it 20 to nothing, jumping over the pile, extending his arms, getting that football to cross the invisible line. You used to see that a lot because it almost became a thing, like which running back could have the highest jump over the line of scrimmage, whether you took off from the three-yard line or the four-yard line. That was always one of the bigger highlights back in the day, and very rarely do you see it now because I think a lot of it is you're just trying to run between the tackles or find the hole. But for Kenyon Drake, at least in that moment, he thought the best bet was to go over the top. Only thing you got to watch, they punched the ball out. Yes. And he's put the ball on the carpet twice last game, and I, I, I haven't seen the injury report. It doesn't come out till Wednesday. But I noticed in the game he was holding his hand, so I don't know. No excuse you're out there, especially when you're protecting the lead. Two hands on the rock, okay? Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's you – know, the fact that they ran the ball 43 times is impressive. You keep going back to that number, and I get and and it should be because it was out balanced more. at yes. first. It was 15 runs and 16 passes, but that I always tell you about the heyday in the Steelers. You run when you get a lead like that, you can run the football in the fourth quarter, and and it's funny because teams know you're going to run, and if you pick up a couple first downs, then you get the kneel down. So that's the recipe for success: run the football, control the line of scrimmage, and then it play it opens up the passing game and the play action. But they need other receivers to step up. Uh, so they can pick up these third downs. But that's another thing. You know, third down wasn't an issue. They weren't behind the sticks. Only four penalties for 22 yards. And as you pointed out in the Red Sea Report, two on the offense. That is major improvement. Small sample, um, but only four penalties total. If they can cut that down in a negative place, the offense can be a little bit more explosive down the stretch. Well, those two offensive penalties both came inside the red zone. The Kelvin Beecham false start, and all of a sudden you're backed up. It's first and 15, and yeah. you stall momentum. And then they had 12 men in the huddle, which is inexcusable to me because you have to be able to count. And how many times do you see the quarterback when someone comes running from the sideline, they take a step back, and then they take a step back in as far as making sure you count. And Kyler Murray too many times has either not paid attention to the play clock or how many men are in the huddle. That falls on the quarterback. He has to take more responsibility as far as this is my offense and I need to make sure that my eyes are where they need to be. He needs to be able to look, you know, like it's when you're driving. You pay attention to the front. You look at your rearview mirror, the side mirror. Kyler Murray needs to start doing that more. Yeah, and you hate to see teams burn timeouts because they don't want to take a delay game penalty. There's, there's no excuse coming on the field and having to take a delay game penalty. You should have your personnel ready. Now, I know Kingsbury was hot on the sidelines. Um, looked like he was talking to one of the assistants. And I don't know, that has been a misconfusion. But when you're bringing in different personnel, Craig, guys got to know. I mean, 11 personnel, 12 personnel, 10 personnel. Um, but y- you could say it shouldn't be happening at this point in the year. I mean, the, the Ravens had 15 players, uh, 15 guys on defense on the field last night. The referees didn't even see that initially. Um, you know, they had the telestrator, and the telestrator only goes to 14 players. They had to draw a one and a five there. 
Um, but you, you think it wouldn't happen this year. But when you're mixing and matching and, you know, maybe they don't do it so much with their tempo offense, uh, and, and then obviously the defense can substitute if you're substituting. So it shouldn't be happening at this time of the year. But I don't like to delay a game um, where you got to burn a timeout because those timeouts are going to be valuable in the last two minutes of the half or the last four minutes of the game. Before we get to the updated NFC playoff picture and how things look in the NFC West, I want to remind everyone that Pro Bowl voting continues. It runs through December 17th, so that is later this week. Go to NFL.com slash Pro Bowl vote. Bird Gang, you have done a very good job so far. At last check, DeAndre Hopkins, Buda Baker leading their respective position groups. You had five other players in the top ten at their respective positions, including two offensive Lyman, center Mason Cole, and tackle Kelvin Beecham. I would like to see DJ Humphreys' name amongst the top tackles as far as Pro Bowl voting is concerned. Maybe if not fan voting, coaches, peers, because he has certainly played like a Pro Bowler and maybe even entering that all-pro discussion based off what he's done at left tackle. Yeah, and you know when they initially signed him, he was kind of in the top five for left tackles. I think he's ninth right now. Correct. So, and when you look at it, what, you know, obviously he wanted to be here. They wanted to retain him, didn't want him to test free agency. And to me, he's staying healthy and he's become a much better player under Sean Coogler. He continues to dominate. He earned an 83.6 against the Giants. Uh, the grades are both pass and run protection. He's fifth best pro football focus grade, 88.4. He's played 926 snaps. Um, you can go to azcardinals.com. Kyle Odegaard has a story on there. Um, and then you just look at, you know, the age factor. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's worthy. Now, all pro is just – it's the league. Um, and I do give the Cardinal fans a lot of credit because a lot of times they're like, oh, this guy should, you know, well, vote. That's the idea. And they've done a really good job this year. So I give Cardinal fans credit for voting um, because I do think, you know, this team got off to a good start and they were worthy of being in the, in the Pro Bowl. Um, but Pro Bowl is conferences. And even though it's going to be a virtual, um, I think he's earned it. And just, just uh, I've mentioned in the past, they're not going to get it to the credit they deserve. We know from a, a unit, they're one of the best blocking and, and run blocking, uh, you know, line in football. They're right up there, 20 touchdowns over average, you know, close to five yards of carry. Until you get somebody in the Pro Bowl or, or the All Pro, the, the unit won't get the credit. So it's time for that to happen. And it wouldn't surprise me if Calvin Beecham gets some um, some votes. Now, 66% is from coaches and players, peers, coaches. So, and sometimes it's a popularity test, and I know Humphreys mentioned that earlier today, but he's earned the right to be a, a Pro Bowl player, in my opinion, this year. Yeah, here's what Humphreys had to say about the Pro Bowl voting. Quote, I talked junk every year I didn't make the Pro Bowl about it being a popularity vote, but I definitely want to be one of the popular kids. In quotes. Good line. And you sometimes have said, as far as sometimes it's the following season. Yes. It's the next year you get rewarded. That's just how things are, unless you're on television, national television five, all the time. Five times or, a year. Yeah, and you're in one, one of the bigger markets and always being talked about during the week. That's when you can become a rookie that makes a Pro Bowl or consistently in. But sometimes it's the following year, and then usually you make a Pro Bowl a year after in which you shouldn't because it's more of based off reputation. And sometimes guys get grandfathered in. Um, now, 
as we're talking about the offensive line, and Kyler Murray was, I mean, he was only sacked one time, didn't see a lot of pressures, didn't see a lot of quarterback hits. You know, they did have some negative plays. Um, so I look at the offensive line, and you look at the pass protection. Sweezy, 86. Pew, 86. Lamont Gilliard, 79. Calvin Beecham, 71. You know, Mason Cole struggled a little bit. He gave up four pressures and allowed 36 uh, pass blocking snaps. So, you know, initially I thought this team was a better run blocking team, but in this last game, they were better in pass protection and the fact that they were able to run the football 43 times. So that's what you want. You want to have balance on offense and you also want to have balance in pass protection and run blocking. And pay attention this week as far as the guard position. Justin Murray, does he start again at right guard in place of J.R. Sweezy, who is healthy? Or because Justin Pugh is dealing with a calf issue, does Murray get the start at left guard? Murray and D.J. Humphreys, the only two of the five offensive linemen to play every single snap, and those were 79 offensive plays run on Sunday. But Murray started at right guard, finished at left guard there might be something there as far as already a changing of the guard no pun intended with respects to looking at next year yeah and the cardinals you know it was under the radar and gave him a two-year extension justin murray came off uh you know basically bounced around started 12 games played in 14 last year and and the thing is with josh jones and the wings um, you know, he's probably more of a right or left tackle. I mean, you got Humphreys for the next four or five years, hopefully. Um, so Murray, to me, is he's he's kind of like the Earl Watford. Uh, I mean, you know, when Earl Watford was here, he can snap. But Murray can play both guard spots. I, I believe he can pull both, both tackle spots. I think he's got uh, better feet for the right side. But when you have that versatility, um, that's the reason why, you know, when a guy can do more than just one thing, it's going to help him. And I think Murray will be a starter uh, going into the offseason. If you enjoy Cardinals Cover 2, we invite you to subscribe to all of the Arizona Cardinals podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. In addition to Cardinals Cover 2, you've got Cardinals Underground, the Big Red Raids, the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Listen on the go. Just visit azcardinals.com slash podcast for more information. As we typically do on Tuesdays here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, we take a look at not only what happened in the NFC West, but now as we're entering December and things are becoming a little bit more clearer with respects to the NFC playoff picture. And going into Week 15, MJ, the Cardinals they are the seventh seed. With their win and the Vikings lost to the Buccaneers, the Cardinals back in the playoff picture. You've got the Packers, Saints, Rams, Washington, Seahawks, Buccaneers, and Cardinals. Those are the seven playoff teams if the season ended today. Three NFC West teams with the Cardinals at seven and six. One game better than the Vikings and Bears, who are both at six and seven. Yeah, just win. Um, you know, home game. Uh, they can sweep the NFC East this year. Correct. They yeah. would go four zero. Yeah, and that's year. This is the year you should do it. Well, the Rams did it. <laughs> they did it very early on in the and, season. And you know, you were talking about earlier about you know some of the uh, Giants' numbers. I mean, they do play six games in the NFC East. But hey, you, you play who's on your schedule. All right. So um, when you look at the breakdown, if you win this game. It will go a long way because it's a conference game, obviously a home game, but also, you know, it sets up for your final two games of the season. So, according to Kyle Odegaard on azcardinals.com, 
The Vikings and Bears play each other this week. So one of those teams will stay hot on the Cardinals' heels while the other will be dealt a loss. If the Cardinals lose to the Eagles, they'll, find, they'll fall behind the winner of the Vikings-Bears matchup via tiebreaker. If Tampa loses to the Falcons, the Cardinals will jump to a sixth seed in the NFC with a victory because they would hold the tiebreaker uh, versus the conference record. Yeah, right now both the Buccaneers and Cardinals with five and four conference records, and that would be the tiebreaker if you don't play head-to-head and then if you have the same conference record then they go based off a percentage of common opponents and that's why a week ago the Vikings were ahead of the Cardinals because they had a better record amongst common opponents but you look at that Bears-Vikings game it's in Minnesota the Vikings are four and five in the conference the Bears five and five do you want the Vikings to win you know provided okay one, the Cardinals beat the Eagles, and you don't have to worry about it. But as far as when you look in the rearview mirror as who's chasing you, Vikings and Bears, you know, who scares you the most? The Vikings have the Bears, and they've got two road games at New Orleans, at Detroit. The Bears, after visiting Minnesota, they'll visit Jacksonville and then host the Packers. Uh, neither one really has a great rest of the schedule as far as an easy path but when you look at the Vikings Bears on Sunday do the Cardinals root for one team over the other wow it's a good question because as you mentioned they're both six and seven Uh, right now Minnesota's four and five in the conference and the Bears are five and five Cardinals are five and four wow um I I rather see Chicago uh, make a run because I think Minnesota they could be dangerous in the postseason, but they got a situation with Dan Bailey. Um, uh, just win the game, and uh, <laughs> I don't I don't have any preference because at this point, I mean, it's just more about the Cardinals. I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to talk like the team. It's more about them. Um, but I think I think Minnesota could be more dangerous um, if they got to the postseason. Um, where the Bears, but I, 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 I just the Bears. Mitch, you got to give Trubisky credit, and the Bears rely on their defense. And Matt Nagy's probably trying to uh, save his job there. So maybe you got a more desperate team. But uh, Mike Zimmer's not very happy with Dan Bailey. It is an interesting question. Now, there Who are you rooting for then? I would tend to le- – see, this is the difficult part because if you want the Vikings to win, then that would improve their conference record to 5-5 five and five and drop the Bears below 500 yes. as far as conference record. But then the common opponent factor comes into this, and the Vikings have beaten the Seahawks. They have beaten the Lions. The Cardinals lost to the Seahawks. They've also beaten them, but they lost to the Seahawks. They lost to the Lions. So And lost to the Panthers. That's something that – you know, right now, maybe ask me in a week or two because I think All right, you might let's have a player. Bears. All right, we'll root for the Bears right now because you're right. We and we the reason why Minnesota was ahead of the Cardinals is because head to head opponents they had beat the Lions and Panthers. Yes. So let's go Bears. All right, let's go Bears. We just decided live on air. <laughs> the other three teams, as far as still kind of. They're there, but they're really out of focus. The Lions, 49ers, and Giants all at 5-8. and eight. Now, the Giants can get in because if they top the NFC East, they'll jump everyone. But the Lions and 49ers, potentially, maybe they can get hot. They're still alive. Of course, it would take a collapse from the Cardinals, Vikings, and Bears for either the Lions or 49ers to get back in. Bottom line, there is still a lot of shuffling. There still can be a lot of things happen. At the end of the day, though, Cardinals in control of their own destiny win, and they're in. Yeah, and we know it's the NFL, and there's upsets every week. I mean, these next two games on paper are winnable, correct? Correct. 
You've got the Eagles and 49ers at home. A chance to sweep the 49ers. You got swept by the Niners a year ago, but a chance to sweep the 49ers and then go into that last game against the Rams in L.A. looking for a 10th win potentially. And based on, you know, if, if, if Green Bay is able to lock up the, the number one seed now, they're, they have the same record as uh, New Orleans. You know, bad loss for New Orleans, but, you know, maybe they get Drew Brees back. Doesn't sound like he's coming back maybe this week or next week. But um, once you lock up the division, I, I, teams may rest players in week 17. I mean, I, I, you know, this year it's different because the top seed is the only seeds in each conference that get a bye. And so all of a sudden you look at Pittsburgh right now, they're leading the division, Buffalo, Tennessee, okay? And then you got Cleveland, Indianapolis, and Miami. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if teams can afford when If you're a number one seed and you don't play for like two weeks, um, but there's no way you're going to put these guys out there. And if the Rams lock up the division based on uh, seedings, uh, they, they may get a chance to play Tampa. They may get a chance to play Arizona. Um, so – and you play team three times in one season, and you know how that can go. And right now, uh, the Cardinals will play the Rams in Week 17 on the road. So I, I wonder if some of these teams lock up and they got their their playoff seedings. Uh, again, I don't think home field advantage matters as much as you, previous years. Even though you got to go to Kansas City or Pittsburgh or Buffalo, and the NFC, you probably got to go to Green Bay, New Orleans, or Los Angeles or Seattle. So I don't. I don't know if, if teams will rush players in week 17. You know, curious to see when we get there. Well, the Rams might be able to rush players this coming week. They host the Jets. <laughs> Sorry, that was just too easy. <laughs> the Rams 9 and 4, they lead the division. The That's Seahawks, good. who just beat the Jets. In fact, they throttled the Jets. It was 3 nothing New York, <laughs> and then the Seattle Seahawks scored 40 unanswered to win, and they are 9-4 and four as well. The Seahawks <laughs> play at Washington this week, and then the 49ers are on the road at Dallas. One other note within the NFC West, and we only do this because we like making fun of him, Adrian Wilson, who uh, I, I guess maybe or maybe not knows that we exist here, MJ, on Cardinals Cover yeah. 2, but uh, next time you speak to A-Dub, let him know that his name has been scratched from the record books. Jamal Adams, the Seahawks defensive back, set the NFL record for most sacks in a single season, eight and a half. A-Dub in 2005 had eight so no longer is Adrian Wilson number one. But he is number one in our hearts. That is right, yeah. We is that love, a good save? Yeah, that's a good save. We love A-Dub. He's on A-Dub, the, if you're listening, you're always welcome on the show. I believe he has he has made an appearance. His voice oh, that's right. has made an appearance on Cardinals Cover 2. He's grinding, man. He's trying to get this team a lot better. What's his uh, title now? What what title did they fling on him or tag him with? What is he? Some He's, so, he's someone important, right? What do you mean? <laughs> He's like he's, he's a, a Ring of Honor member. Yes, and, you know that's all we need to know. And no. yes, he is uh, very high up in the front office. Yes, yes, he's director of pro scouting. He's a big shot. He's a big shot. In other words, he's a big and shot. And you got you got Q in there, Quentin Harris. He's director of player personnel. You got Drew Grigson. He's the assistant director of player personnel. And you got Dub. And there's others that we obviously uh, you know Josh Kobe. But anyways. Uh, hopefully we'll get him on during the offseason. How about that? We have a lot of fun with Adrian Wilson, who has a lot of fun with us. Oh, yeah. Especially at my expense, but that's <laughs> for another day. I miss that guy. <laughs> we all do. On that note, let's put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.